0: Hi, my name is Mina. Welcome to Kids Talk Church History, a a one-of-a-kind podcast where kids investigate the history of the church. Over 2,000 years ago, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Has he kept his promise? How has Jesus built and preserved his church against all odds? Come with us on a trip through history to find the answer here on Kids Talk Church History. It was one of the coldest winters that anyone could remember, but the snow, frost, and ice didn't stop Emperor Henry IV from crossing the Alps and traveling to the castle of Canossa above the fogs of the large Italian Po Valley. His mission? Begging the Pope for forgiveness. Unconvinced of Henry's motives, Pope Gregory VII let him wait outside the castle, barefoot and dressed in sackcloth, for three days and three nights. Stay tuned for the ending of this exciting story. My name is Lucy. I'm 17 and I live in San Diego, California. I'm Grace.
1: I am 11 and I live in Raleigh, North Carolina. And I'm Sophia. I am 14 and I live in Orlando, Florida. So I've seen some paintings or drawings showing the emperor outside the castle. Some showed him humble and repentant and
0: some showed him strong and proud. Yes, I guess it's difficult to know how he really felt at that time. Why was he begging for forgiveness? Well, emperors and popes had been arguing for a while. If you remember, we talked about how popes had been getting more and more power. At first, popes were just bishops over a city, no more powerful than any other bishops. With time, the Bishop of Rome gained some power over the others. Eventually, the bishops of Rome, or popes, began to claim authority over all Christians, including emperors. At the same time, emperors had a lot of power over the church. They could ask the church to give money. They could even choose bishops. There was a lot of confusion. Long story short, Henry got tired of the pope's demands and said that Gregory had not been properly elected and had to resign. He wrote, Let another ascend the throne of St. Peter, who shall not practice violence under the cloak of religion, but shall teach the sound doctrine of St. Peter. I, Henry, King, by the grace of God, do say unto thee, together with all our bishops, descend, 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 to be damned throughout the ages. So Gregory excommunicated him.
2: Excommunicated means he could not receive the Lord's Supper,
0: right? Basically, uh, yes. It meant that the church didn't consider the emperor a true Christian. It was a really big deal, especially since Gregory told the people they no longer had to respect the emperor. I can imagine
1: how Henry's enemies might have used that situation. Not in a good way.
2: So Henry had to get the pope's forgiveness. Was he really sorry?
0: Well, we can't really tell. Even the Pope wasn't sure about lifting the excommunication, but as a Pope, he knew he was supposed to forgive those who showed repentance, and repentant or not, Henry really showed it.
2: I read that the Emperor's cousin, Countess Matilda, had a lot to do with the reconciliation.
0: Uh, Yes, because that was actually her castle, and she was a very powerful ruler in her own right. She was normally on the Pope's side, but she knew the Pope could not refuse forgiveness. So I saw a photo of a paper
1: signed by Matilda of Canossa. She drew a cross and wrote these words in Latin across it. Matilda de gratia si quid est. Matilda, who, if she is, it is by the grace of God. That shows a lot of
0: humility and devotion. Yes, imagine writing that at the bottom of each letter. What a great reminder. But the story of Emperor Henry IV, Gregory, and Matilda was just one of the many stories of the struggles between rulers and popes or bishops. In England, there was quite a dramatic story where an archbishop was actually murdered. By a ruler? Apparently, the King of England, who was coincidentally also named Henry, Henry II, didn't mean to kill the archbishop. He was just frustrated with him. And the archbishop, Thomas Becket was actually a good friend of the king. Beckett wasn't even a priest, but the king had him ordained and then moved him up the ranks because he wanted an archbishop who could be on his side. But guess what? Sometimes Becket refused to do what the king asked him to. Well, I'm sure the king didn't expect that. Definitely not. And he got so frustrated that at one point he said, who will rid me of this turbulent priest? Four knights heard him and thought, we will. We'll kill Becket and become the king's best friends.
2: He should have been more careful with what he said
1: especially since he was a king.
0: So, uh, the knights killed Becket right in the church, and then it was King Henry's turn to ask for forgiveness. He was also flogged in front of all of his subjects.
2: And some people say church history is
0: boring. In a way, I can understand the Pope's point of view. Henry IV believed that, as emperor, he had the right to appoint the bishops of the German church. I can see how that could create a problem, as it became obvious in the story of Henry II and Becket. But it seems that the popes were erring the other way, trying to take over political power. We don't want to take too much time discussing this situation because we have an expert of Italian history that could explain it so much better. His name is Mike Karati, host of the History of Italy podcast. Dr. karate thank you so much for joining us today.
3: Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. And it's lovely to see young people interested in these topics. <laughs>
0: So you heard our short retelling of the story of Henry Fourth, Gregory and Matilda, along with the story of Henry II and Thomas Beckett. Uh, did we leave anything out, anything important or make any mistakes in our story?
3: Well, you know, it's a really long story, both stories, and you did a very good job at summarizing it. So I'd say you really you really got the gist there. Good job. No, no, nothing essential. At least then we'll talk about other aspects. But as far as the stories themselves go, you got it. That's good. Okay, so
0: the struggle between kings and emperors on one side and popes and bishops on the other is usually called the investitor controversy. Can you explain it in simple
3: words for our listeners? Okay, well, to invest a bishop means to actually create a bishop. And you uh, there's a ceremony in which the pope or ruler would give an ordained priest a bishopric by giving him certain symbols of power for the staff of power, etc. And that what that's where the word investiture comes from. It's actually the process of making a bishop to make things simple. And it was a pretty common thing in the Middle Ages, because it was a good deal for everybody, right? So obviously, if you were a nobleman or noblewoman, your first son would be okay, because he was usually the one that would get all your stuff and your castles and your lands and your wealth and so on. Sometimes they would divide it up, but that would always mean the children would argue afterwards. So what they did very, very often is the second and third son, maybe, would be it would become part of the church. And what would happen was I would go along and say, hey, king, you know, I have this second son. I've given all my stuff to my first son. I don't know what to do with the second guy. Can you make him a bishop, please? And so very quickly they'd make him a priest and shift him up the ladder. and. With the bishopric, it's not, we must remember, it's not just a question of sort of religious power over a community and influence over a community, but lands, and very, very often, especially in the Middle Ages, very wealthy lands that brought in a lot of money from farming, from taxes, and so on. So I would go to the king, say, hey, king, please, can you sort out my second son with a nice bishopric? And he'd say, yeah, no problem. Give me 10,000 marks or florins or whatever. And so... The king would make a little bit of cash. I would sort out my son. And the good deal for the king or the pope was that when the bishop died, obviously, they weren't allowed to have children. So there were no children to inherit those lands. And so the lands came back to the king or his son, and then they could do the whole thing over again with the same land. So it was a good deal all the way around, I'd say.
2: Did other popes and rulers have similar conflicts in different parts of Europe?
3: <laughs> well, basically, from the very first pope, St. Peter and his clash with Emperor Nero, to even the popes of modern day and their influence in politics, I think you could turn maybe the question around and say something like, which popes have not Had conflicts with rulers anywhere in Europe because all throughout church history there have been all kinds of of conflicts. I mean I live in Italy and Italy was founded in part on taking away lands from the papal state and you can bet that the Pope at the time who was Pius IX was not a happy bunny about that. He was not pleased at all and he was quite angry about it for decades to come. Uh, Also we we were talking before uh, Lucy you you mentioned the story of uh, Canossa and the, and the humiliation of Canossa that echoed all the way through history. And a modern German leader, for example, modern in the sense of 19th century, like Otto von Bismarck, while he was working on the unification of Germany, actually said, "We will not go to Canossa," as in, "We will not bow to the Pope." At that time, which again was Pius IX. And it was interesting that you mentioned uh, Lucy when you were when you were talking about how popes sort of extended their power, even authority over emperors. And that's one of the big cruxes of the debate. I mean, who was higher up, the emperor or the Pope? And that was one of the big debates starting from Charlemagne, because that's another interesting story about how he was crowned. So going back to what we were saying you can find conflicts all over the place. Uh, Popes versus the Ottonians, Otto the First, Second, and Third Pope. A uh, Pope versus Frederick the Second, Frederick Barbarossa. You mentioned Thomas Becket, another big story in England that saw a Pope against the King was Henry the against Clement the and then Paul the Third, and that's when the Anglican Church was actually created, and so they broke away from the Catholic Church, then the Popes against the Lombards, which were a Germanic people which took over Italy after the fall of the Western Roman Empire. And we must remember in general, oh yeah, another important thing that I particularly like is Another pope, Sixtus IV, who actually backed a conspiracy against a ruler, Lorenzo the Magnificent of Florence, was almost killed in the Pazzi conspiracy supported by Pope Sixtus IV. So there's plenty of conflict between rulers and popes all throughout history, not forgetting that for many parts, for for, for many centuries of papal history, the papal states were an actual physical political entity, and so they were always fighting against their neighbors
1: so i have a quick follow-up question to the investiture controversy Absolutely. so if they were just kind of like churning through people turning them into priests and then bishops how did this affect the way like biblical doctrines were taught in the church
3: well obviously that depended very very much on who was pope at the time so it's sort of a, a, an ebb and flow i mean you got certain popes like the one we're talking about today gregory the seventh who's seen as a great reformer so he would have introduced reforms to try and bring the church closer to to the gospel, to what it was supposedly supposed to be doing, where other more political popes would have done all kinds of other naughty things. So they would have been less interested in bringing these, policies under control and let's not forget of course that this buying and selling of offices was something that led to the protestant reform you know when martin luther said hey guys this is getting a bit too much that was one of the issues that he mentioned so it was something that did greatly influence doctrine and the debate between different christian doctrines
0: So going back to what you were saying about, uh, you know, popes extending their power over certain things, who had more authority, pope or the emperor, uh, I've read that popes claimed power over the western half of the Roman Empire because they had a document signed by Emperor Constantine that had handed down that rule to the Bishop of Rome. But in the 15th century, someone noticed that the document was actually a fake created by someone in the 8th century. Uh, Did Gregory appeal to that document?
3: No, he didn't really lean on it that much. He, As we said before, he was sort of a, a reforming pope and he was trying to get things under control spiritually, although obviously not forgetting that he was also a secular leader. Uh, the person that discovered that you mentioned very well, exactly, in the 15th century was um, an Italian scholar uh, by the name of Lorenzo Valla. And he basically uh, found that the Latin didn't really correspond to what was supposedly the Latin at the time of Constantine, and there was this little thing that the document actually spoke about the city of Constantinople, which at the time Constantine hadn't actually founded yet. So it kind of sus- you know, <laughs> made him a little bit suspicious that there was something fishy going on there. So no, it was more previous popes, maybe Leo the Ninth, for example, and a lot later uh, a Medici pope, so Giuliano the Medici pope, Leo the Tenth brought it back out again, but Gregory, not so much.
1: Um, So I've read that after about five years after the episode at Canossa, Henry IV marched on Rome, deposed Gregory, and appointed a new pope. What happened after that?
3: Well, that brings us to how much more important Matilda of Canossa is in the whole story. I mean, she wasn't just like some host who decided to throw a big party so they could all forgive each other and kiss and make up, but she really was involved from the very beginning. So in the early 1060s, 1070s, all the way to the 1090s in the whole procedure. So what happened was Henry came down and to, be, to actually become Holy Roman Emperor, you had to get crowned in Rome by the Pope. And obviously the Pope was not too keen on doing that because after the uh, forgiveness and the events of Canossa, Henry continued to do what he wanted to do. So they went back to square one, basically, you know, deposing and excommunicating each other. And so... Henry comes down. He elects an anti-pope, Clement III, so that Clement III can crown him. He manages to he manages to take over all of Rome except for an important castle, Castel Sant'Angelo, which is actually quite impressive because you can see today in the form it was almost originally a time of Emperor Hadrian, and it's the fortress of Rome, and the popes have like a little secret passageway that they can run from the Vatican to Castel Sant'Angelo. Gregory holed up there, and he called in the Normans, who were very strong, originally barbaric, warrior-like people. We're talking the same guys who took over Normandy in France and who conquered England in 1066. So Gregory says, hey, Normans, come please and help me out. They came. Henry saw how things were going, went away quickly because he didn't want to fight with the Normans. The Normans came in and unfortunately they sacked and there was a huge amount of violence in Rome, a very, very violent sack. And so when the Roman, when the Normans left, the Romans, the Roman people blamed Gregory and Gregory had to flee. And after that, he died in exile uh, in Salerno, so in among the, the 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 lands of the of the Normans, and that's where Matilda comes in again because she came down the uh, forces the, the bishops around and uh, the legitimate. A uh, line of popes elected a new pope victor III, and he really really didn't want the job it well he wasn't faking or anything you know just to be modest he didn't want the job he got dragged to rome by matilda there was a lot of fighting to reclaim rome while they were fighting victor III ran away back to his monastery because he wanted to stay in peace matilda dragged him back to rome again and then he ran away back to the monastery and he's got so sick of the situation that in the end he died and so they had to elect another pope then, actually, the fight continues, and then we'll talk a little bit about the importance of Matilda, but it doesn't end with the fight in Rome.
2: I saw a painting or drawing of Henry IV kneeling in front of Matilda, asking her to convince the Pope to forgive him. That shows how important she was in this struggle between emperors and popes, Right.
3: Exactly. Yeah. She was fundamental in this in this phase of the struggle. She sort of negotiated that moment, the forgiveness of Canossa. She hosted it in her castle of Canossa. But also, we said before, immediately after things went south again. And so both a war broke out, basically starting in the 1080s. And Matilda was on the pope's side in that war, actually on the field with her troops fighting against Uh, Emperor Henry IV. It went really badly at the beginning for the Pope and Matilda, and the Pope actually died during that period. She lost almost all of her lands, at a certain point she was forced to take all the treasures from her churches, melt them down to try and send money to help the Pope. But in the end, you spoke before about uh, this characteristic of the fog of the Po Valley when you made that lovely introduction. Uh, that is a very common characteristic of our Po Valley. And in the 1090s, in what is called the Battle of the Fog, because it was won thanks to the fog, Matilda finally managed to decisively defeat Henry IV on the battlefield. And that was the last time he came down into Italy.
0: Hmm. So I'm under the impression that you visited the castle of Canossa uh, right now. Does it look much like it did back in those, these times that we're talking about right now?
3: Unfortunately, it does not. I'm lucky enough to actually live very near the castle of Canossa. I live in a, in a small town called Cavriago in the province of Reggio Emilia, and that's where the castle of Canossa is in the province of Reggio Emilia. So for me, it's about half an hour drive, and I go there quite often, about once a month, usually for an event or a tour or something like that. Unfortunately, no, that... It has been rebuilt in part by the Este, uh, the the dynasty of Ferrara, which took over these areas later, but there's from Matilda's time. So uh, just to, to, to so clarify, we're talking end of the 11th, beginning of the 12th century, there's just a pile of rocks nice pile of rocks if you will interesting part of the keep seems to be still there they're discovering more and more that they're actually digging and they discovered some old walls there's part of the crypt the crypt but if we look at today uh, the castle of canossa we, we we don't see uh at, we don't see it as matilda would although there is an interesting project called you are matilda And you can actually visit with VR goggles, with virtual reality goggles, and you can see the castle rebuilt possibly as it was, although we don't know, you know, 100% exactly how it was. We can sort of try and determine it. But she did leave a lot of churches all around her vast holdings in Italy. So we're talking from the confines of Rome all the way up to the confines of what then was Italy, so Verona. And uh, she was a great defender of the church. She, she did a lot of work and building for the church. And indeed, Matilda of Canossa is one of the only three women to actually be buried in St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. And she has a wonderful monumental tomb done by a great Italian artist, uh, Gian Lorenzo Bernini.
1: Um, so going back to Matilda's history, um, when she backed the pope and she was on his side, she basically became an enemy of the emperor. So why did she do this if it if it had potentially such great
3: consequences? That That's a good question. I mean, she was basically a vassal of the emperor, so she should have uh, been loyal to him but her family had sort of been moving away. Historically, her family became powerful thanks to the connection with the emperors. For example, her father, Bonifacio Attone, was a very important nobleman. And perhaps that was a problem. Maybe he became too important to the point that Henry III, so the father of the Henry we're talking about, got very suspicious of him. And there's a strong suspicion that he may have had him killed using a poison arrow in a hunting accident, which was one of the favorite ways of getting rid of people back then. And so that was one thing that Matilda may have suspected. So already she's not too keen on this po- on the emperor because he may have killed her father. She and her mother, Beatrice, were actually held hostage by Henry III for a long time because uh, Beatrice had remarried with an enemy of the emperor She had also moved closer, both Matilda and Beatrice had moved closer to the papacy because the Pope before, one of the popes before Gregory, uh, Leo IX, was um, an uncle of Beatrice, so a great uncle of Matilda. So there was sort of this relatively quick move away from the empire and towards the papacy and then you know looking at all of the documents and all of what she's left and when we study history that's what we look at we go and look at the the deeds and documents and decisions she makes as also an administrator of justice and we really get the feeling that she was a strong true believer had a very strong faith and that's also why she became such a staunch defender of the church.
2: Before you go, we have a couple of questions we ask all of our guests. How did you become interested in ch- in history? And if you can meet anyone from medieval history, who would it be?
3: Ah, oh, lovely one. Okay. How did I become interested? Mostly thanks to my mom who had our house full of books of history, uh, particularly British and English history. So the various Edwards and all of the Henry VIII business and all that. And, um, and also, I, I think I met the right people during my life that really taught me that the word history has the word story in it. So if you can find the right people to tell you history in an in, in an interesting way, uh, that that's a very good thing. And obviously, great podcasts help. Like uh, if we're talking about church history, there's one called pontifax uh, There's another called the History of the Papacy. And of course, there is Kids Talk Church History, which is one of the best um as far as meeting i'm absolutely obsessed with matilda uh, i'm part of the uh, matilda of tuscany international association which you can find online so obviously my first choice would be to meet matilda but i also wouldn't mind maybe if i were invited to a party at the medici house in the late 15th century i mean you know imagine being in a house and in a city where you could go to a party with lorenzo and giuliano de medici and maybe botticelli would walk by maybe leonardo da vinci might drop in maybe michelangelo would be around the corner sculpting something so an amazing moment machiavelli would have been wandering around as well so i'd say those two matilda and and a party at the medici house if they would have me obviously
0: (laughs) all right well dr karate we're so thankful that you decided to spend this time with us and to share your knowledge with us as a goodbye. Could you tell us all how to say goodbye in Italian?
3: <laughs> well, let's say arrivederci because arrivederci means see you again soon. So arrivederci a tutti.
0: Arrivederci.
3: Arrivederci. All
0: right. arrivederci. Well... Listeners, you have an opportunity to win a copy of Simonetta Carr's book, Anselm of Canterbury, which talks about these struggles between bishops and popes on one hand and kings and emperors on the other, as well as the friendship between Anselm of Canterbury and Matilda of Canossa. To enter the drawing, submit your questions or comments to questions at History.org. You can also find the link on our website, History.org. While you're there, you can also find past episodes, special news, recommended readings, and more. In fact, we have a question today from a listener from Asia that I'm going to read here. Hello, Kids Talk Church History podcast. I love your podcast and am very enlightened from the stories and information about church history. I am Sophia Sadora a teenager all the way from Asia and a church history nerd also. My question for the hosts or even the guest speakers is what resources, literature or books do you read to fur- th- to further my knowledge of church history, preferably ones that discuss in depth? Thank you once again. Sincerely, Sophia Sodora. Well, thank you, Sophia, for your lovely message. Since there are so many hosts on this podcast, we decided to compile a list of our favorite church history books and post them on our website, so be on the lookout for that. Now, in partnership with the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals and on behalf of my co-hosts, Grace and Sophia, my name is Lucy, and thank you for listening to Kids Talk Church History.